Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Kyle Quattlebaum, and I'm the moderator of the Wired Word small group here on Sunday mornings. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. O loving God, to turn away from you is to fall, to turn toward you is to rise, and to stand before you is to abide forever. Grant us, dear God, in all our duties your help, in all our uncertainties your guidance, in all our dangers your protection, and in all our sorrows your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive the Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
please stand for the call to worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God.
Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord who created you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let us respond to God's amazing grace and love in a spirit of humble repentance and confess our sins together. Let us pray. Lord of all, the demands of your righteousness are too hard for us to fulfill alone. So we rush off with this excuse and ignore your law. You forgive our iniquity and remember our sin no more. We abuse this freedom as if it were a license to selfishness, self-indulgence, and self-righteousness. You give us the gift of grace, atonement in the life of your Son, yet we make it cheap without serious repentance. We fail to see the power of your faithfulness. We are your people, but do we do not know as our God. Forgive us, Lord, the sins we know in our heart. Save us, Lord, from the sins we hide. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And may God, who forgives you all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness, and the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. On this day in which we mark and celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we turn to one of the great confessions of faith in the Reformed movement, the Heidelberg Catechism. Join me as we affirm our historic faith in reciting together the answer to the first question of, of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together 
for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And now we invite you to welcome and greet all those around you. Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Church of the Palms. As today we celebrate, as you heard, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, this is how Presbyterian ministers celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, along with a kilt underneath my robe here. And do not get used to either of these things. So, uh, but uh, I noticed a little uh, ancestral native garb uh, scattered about. So some of you were in the spirit of the of the day. We're grateful that uh, the good Lord brings all of his nations under his throne of grace, and we're grateful that we get to celebrate that today and to give thanks for the good news of this great and historic moment in the life of the church. And uh, you will want to uh, join us outside. Hopefully it won't be too breezy or too rainy, and uh, you'll perhaps hear the peal of bagpipes in the distance as well as uh, you can get some coffee from Papua New Guinea uh, from uh, the, the, we didn't get any Scottish coffee today, unfortunately, but we, but we have some of that available. If it's not right underneath the tree, it's probably right over in the campus center, so feel free to grab a cup over there. If you're looking for signups, uh, they're likely underneath the portico here, right off the, uh, our sanctuary, uh, just so that we can keep people dry and away from uh, the wind. So we have lots of opportunities for you to participate in the life of our church, and those are uh, listed in your bulletin. We encourage you to take note of those things, including sign up for, uh, it's hard to believe, it's October when we're already preparing for the Salvation Army red kettle bell ringing opportunity. This has been a great tradition recently of our church, signing up for that and to come alongside of a very insignificant ministry in our community and to help them out. So you can uh, find out and get your primo time uh, so that you can uh, ring the bell for the Salvation Army during the Advent season. We also encourage you to take note of the announcements about signing up if you still want to participate in the Messiah 
and sing in the Messiah. We'd love to have you come and do that. Information about that is in your bulletin. Tremper Longman, a professor from Westmont College in California, will be here on uh, Wednesday, November 8th to talk about the Exodus. And uh, Tremper is a great theologian, great biblicist, and we'd love to have you come and learn from him, 530. You can sign up on the website or you can sign up through the church office. Either way, we'd love to have you come and join us for that. Uh, next Sunday, Daylight Savings Time, you clocks go back, you get an extra hour of sleep, no excuse <laughs> for you not coming to church. So um, we want to see you here and you have every reason to come. In our service today, our, what uh, we would normally have as our second hymn is actually an anthem and hymn, so take note of that. And uh, you will be directed by Genevieve to come in at the appropriate time uh, to sing your part of Lead On, O King Eternal. And you'll notice on your way out the door, whenever you end up leaving the sanctuary, that there are these wonderful, wonderful new two cents a meal offering banks. They're churches. Carol Merrill over here is, no, that's not Carol Merrill. That's, uh, what's your name? Linda Evans is uh, displaying that. Uh, and those were all designed and made by Dick Thompson. Where's Dick? Dick is right over there. Dick, stand up. We have a nice little gift we want to offer you, Dick, for thank you so very much. Linda's got a little gift of thanks for you and for your doing that. Dick is an amazing artist, and so you'll take note of those. But don't just look at them. <laughs> Put money in them. Because uh, not only do they contribute uh, to the... Uh, world hunger issues around the world, but certainly uh, part of those contributions go to our food pantry. So uh, we hope that you'll pay attention to that. We're grateful for the ministry of Presbyterian women uh, to make that available. Another significant ministry in the life of our church is our Legacy Society and our Legacy Giving Chair. Uh, John Mercier is here to share with us a little bit about that opportunity. Thank you, Steve. On behalf of the Legacy Giving Committee, we thank you for this opportunity to share with you some thoughts about the legacy ministry, uh, a Christian will versus a regular will, the foundation for the Church of the Palms, and the Legacy Society. Four topics in four minutes to cover four hours of information. <laughs> we are all indebted to the past and to those who have preceded us. We gather in a house of worship that others built listen to an organ, and gaze upon stained glass windows left to us by others, and share faith whose foundations we have not laid. Each generation should invest in those things that matter most to God, not because they will benefit by doing so, but because it is the faithful thing to do. The formal legacy giving ministry started about six years ago. Our purpose is informational and educational in nature, and we do this in the following ways creating awareness of the need for estate planning, suggesting resources for you to consider as you develop your will or estate plan, differentiating between a Christian will and a regular will, and offering ways to support your church and other organizations that have great meaning in your life. Usually, the largest proportion of money and property that is left to a church or another organization is usually by way of a will or a trust. I want to focus for a minute on the difference between a Christian will and a regular will. So what sets, sets us apart 
and a Christian will is that the planning reflects the believer's understanding of his or her position as a disciple of Jesus Christ. A will is simply a set of instructions, as most all of you know, that the probate court that addresses guardianship of your minor children, how assets owned should be distributed, and who you want to manage your estate. It is important that this document reflects your desires and your values. Your will says a lot about you. First, it says you care about your loved ones as you want your affairs handled smoothly and without undue inconvenience to those who will be experiencing grief. Second, having a will means you have sought to conserve your estate so that more of your estate can go to family members, your church, or other beneficiaries. Third, your will provides insight into your lifetime involvements and concerns. Bequests to your family members tell you of your love and concern for their welfare, and bequests to your church and other organization speaks volumes about your values. November's Connect magazine, which is available today, expands on this whole area uh, and, and includes a sample preamble uh, to a Christian will that might be helpful to you. Um, also available is a updated uh, booklet that's out in the rack under the legacy tree that might be helpful to you as you consider and or prepare your will. And there's also another workbook that will be available. So how do we manage your bequests? The foundation for the Church of the Palms receives most of the major bequests, and we encourage that. On the other hand, we just received a $50,000 bequest that was specifically left to the church and is being used in capital uh, needs projects. The foundation for the Church of the Palms is about 33 years old and now with assets about to pass $7 million. It's composed of gifts that just keep on giving. We are indebted to those brothers and sisters in Christ who had the foresight to plan ahead for our future and those who have continued to provide funding for missions. There is a large list of projects that the foundation has supported this year. Um, it's take too much time to go through, but the major thing, of course, is the Palm Center, and they're almost $800,000 uh, pledge for that. Quick word about the Legacy Society. 203 members, individual members. 64 states have been realized. Our goal was 150 members by 2015. We have a new goal, 250 by January 1st, 2019. Um, I already mentioned this, but in the literature rack by the Legacy Tree and also on the church website um, is information on how you can become involved in the Legacy Society. I'll be around all morning if you have any questions. Thank you. As John finds his way back, let us prepare our hearts for prayer. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we praise you on this Reformation Sunday. We thank you for all these 500 years of our faith journey. We are grateful and we gratefully remember reformers like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, Hendrik Bullinger, John Calvin, John Knox, and many others 
who have gone before us, paving our way to learn and understand your love, your grace, and our salvation. We give you thanks for creating this beautiful universe and making us in your image and likeness. We thank you, O God, for making a covenant with your people Israel and through them with us. When we broke the covenant, you reached again to us in forgiveness, grace, mercy, and hope by coming to us in Jesus Christ. O God, we thank you for giving us your word in the scriptures. You called us to be your people, the community, that, the community of redeemed, loving you, loving neighbors. For all of this, we give you our deepest thanks. Gracious God, we pray for all in need of your help this day. and your help and mercy, we lift up those who are not well, those making their way home to you, for the grieving, for the lonely, for the afflicted, those who stand in danger to protect us and to spread the good news of the gospel. Now we bring all these our prayers, spoken and unspoken to you, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God through the giving of our tithings and morning offerings.
Let us pray. We love you, O God, for you love us first, and we bring you all these, our gifts and ourselves. Bless them and bless us for your glory and for the sake of this world that you love so much. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated as Carol and our children come forward. Hello, come on up. I don't see too many kids. Oh, here they come. So it is a big day in the church today. Here, let me help with this. I'm going to put this right behind you here. Right here, I have an assistant. But I know that there's a really fun day coming up too that kids are pretty excited about. And that is, what? Halloween. And you get to dress up at Halloween, don't you? It's pretty exciting. So, um, I know you guys, is anyone going to dress up for Halloween? What are you going to be? An angel. An angel, that's good. What are you going to be, Finn? Ninja. What about you? Princess Poppy. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be um, American Girl of Felicity. Oh, Felicity. Piper, what are you going to be? Athena. Athena. You guys? You going to pass out candy? Okay, it's pretty exciting. So, one of the things that we all like to do is get a pumpkin at Halloween. And um, I, I, like to, I like to get a pumpkin. I'm, I like to dress up too, but anyway, one thing I like to do is um, pumpkins remind me of how we can pray at, at Halloween time. Imagine that, right? So the first thing that we do when we, um, when we have Halloween, we go out to the pumpkin patch. Have you, have you guys been out to the pumpkin patch to get a, uh, who has a pumpkin? So we go out, this is, this is, this is what um, my prayer is. This is how I, pumpkins remind me of praying to God. So you go to the pumpkin patch and you pick out a good, you decide on one that's not rotten, it's, it's, it's healthy and it's round and it's smooth and it's gonna make a nice face and everything. So you wanna decide on a good pumpkin, right? So we can, we can say a prayer about that. We can say, God, give me your wisdom and grace to make good decisions in life in everything that we do, right? Okay, so with my assistant, Walter, he's gonna help us. Um, what's the first step when we carve a pumpkin? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do when, when we get a pumpkin? What's the first thing we do? Would we carve cut something it. Off? We carve it. What do we carve off, Walter? Carve off the top. We take the top off, right? Yes. Yes, sorry. <laughs> okay, so why don't you take the top off? All right, Walter's going to just take the top off, Walter. <laughs> okay, magic. <laughs> so, um, so this reminds me to God, please open my mind so that I can learn more about you. Okay, now is the fun stuff. What's inside? What's inside? All the seeds and gunk. Yeah, what's in there, Walter? The guts, right. We take all that stuff out, right. This can remind us, God, take out all the sin and wrong stuff that I do and fill me up with your love, right? Okay. Next, we, well, I say we give him eyes, don't you think? Let's give him eyes, Walter. Oh, nice. <laughs> this way, hey, hi. This way, we can pray to God, say, God, open my eyes so that I can see all the beautiful things that you have made and I get to enjoy. 
So the next thing we do is we give them a nose. Yep. God, I am sorry for all the times that I have turned up my nose at what I have been given. Let's see, does he have, sometimes we put ears on him. Let's see, if, does he have ears, Walter? He might have ears. Oh, yeah. there we go. Okay. God, open my ears so that I can hear your word. All right, and last, well, is this last? Let's see. We got to give him a mouth. Oh, look at that. Nice. God, help me to always speak your words of love and kindness. So you can put the top back on. So is that it? Is that it? Is that, is that all we do? Put the top back on. Oh, we put a light in it, don't we? Look at how we light that up. Yeah, so God, just like you have filled my life with your light, let me be a light to others. Guys, isn't that great? It's, Halloween is a fun time, but I like to remember all the ways that God touches my life at Halloween, too. So let's say a prayer about that. God, thank you for the fun we have together at Halloween. Just as we know you are always present with us, help guide our decisions, keep us from doing wrong, and open our minds and eyes to your beautiful creation. Help us remember to speak only kind and loving words and be a shining light to others. We love you. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Walter.
Well, that's something to follow. <laughs> Always trying to upstage me, aren't you? That's, that was, wow, that was stirring. And we are grateful for our ministry of music and grateful for this day of celebration and grateful for our history and for those bold souls who uh, dared to um, read the scriptures in a new way and interpret them in a new way for the church, for a new age. And to that end, I'd like to read to you from, uh, and departing from our narrative lectionary, which we have been following along as we've made our way through the Old Testament. Today we're departing from that and focusing in on uh, this great gift of the Reformed movement and the Reformation. And so we are in the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, beginning at the seventh verse. So hear the word of God. Paul writes and says, of this gospel I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone, else, everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through this spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless to us an understanding of this, his holy word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to this precious word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. In your life and mine, there is a dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. In your life and mine, there is this dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. Somewhere back to when I was a young teenager, I remember a time when my father invited me to go see a movie. It was, uh, it was some kind of an adventure movie, 
but I cannot remember anything more about it than that. What I can remember is that I was a young teenager and I had copped an attitude. An attitude such that I was, it was, I was not incredibly appreciative that my father wanted to take me to a movie. I know that this kind of attitude escaped you when you were in your teenage years. So with this attitude, I made it known through body language, facial expression, general demeanor, that my dad was very fortunate that I had assented to go to this movie with him. <laughs> Clearly, this is something I had to do. My father caught on to the attitude, and at one point leading up to the day that we were to go out out of frustration, suggested that maybe it just wasn't a good idea that we go. Oh, no, I said in somewhat of a martyred tone, no, 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 we'll go. Uh. <laughs> My father, by grace, bit his lip. So as to sweeten the pot, he offered for me to invite a friend to go along with us. I accepted the offer, and one day while walking home with my best friend from school, I told him that my dad wanted to take me to this movie, and I kind of had to go, and did he want to go with us? Now, my friend came from a home where his dad did not invite him to do anything. His dad came home each day and sat down with a 12-pack of beer and drank himself to sleep. So when I told my friend about this movie to which I had to go and, my, and with my father, I imagine my early teenage surprise when my friend responded by saying, really? Really? Your dad's taking you to that movie? Oh man, I'd love to go. In an instant, I felt my adolescent attitude beginning to evaporate. This movie I felt I had to go was for someone else, a movie they felt they got to go to. And isn't it funny that how things work? Now that my dad is eight years gone and that story is nearly 50 years old, the movie title is no longer up here, but the time is deep in here. In your life and in mine, there's a dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. It's true in so many circles of life. Sit down with a friend and complain about how you have to slip your children all over the place from soccer games to orthodontist appointments to, you know, the library. And after you've gone on for a while, you realize this person sitting across from you doesn't have any children and desperately wishes it were not so. And while you have to cart your children around, she would put it another way. She would say, you get to cart your children around. You crawl out of bed in the morning to go to work long before the sun even thinks about rising. And you begin to lament over all the things you have to do. You have to crawl out of bed. You have to make your way to work. You have to have that meeting with that client you don't necessarily want to meet. You have to get on a plane at the end of the day and not see your family until the end of the week. And a little later, as you're backing down your driveway, still in the pre-dawn darkness, your headlights beam onto your next-door neighbor's house, and you remember that he lost his job four months ago. And you wonder if he's looking out at you pulling out of your driveway and saying, look what he gets to do. He gets to go to work today. So in your life and mine, there is this dividing line between what you feel you have to do and what you feel you get to do. 
So it has been 500 years since a young German monk took it upon himself to nail onto the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral the 95 theses, 95 protestations about the church's reading or misreading of the Bible. Little did that young monk Martin Luther know that when he pounded his nails into that door, he was pounding a crack into the history of Western civilization. The world, and certainly the church, would never be the same from that point forward. Human beings, very view of God, would never be the same. A dam burst in 1517, and the Christian sea spread across Europe and later the world in a flood of tributaries, each with its own distinct understanding of the nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how best to worship God and how best to respond to God. Tomes have been written about the Reformation. Mingy and Will Brown have been teaching an excellent class on the history of the Reformation, and so, of course, one sermon would never suffice to touch upon all these streams that flowed, including our own Scottish Presbyterian tributary. Just one drive, though, through town to see the Lutheran Church, the Episcopal Church, the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, the Congregational Church would be less than enough as to show how significant a movement the Reformation was. Even the Catholic Church in many ways changed as a result of this great break. And I suppose if there's any one great idea, any one reading of Scripture that cracked the dam of Christian thought and practice, it was Martin Luther's claim, Martin Luther's reading of the Apostle Paul when the Apostle Paul said, we are saved by grace and not by works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of any works, lest anyone should boast. Saved by grace alone, sola gratia. For 1,500 years, the church had little by little and been imposing upon her people this notion that if you really wanted to be sure of being saved, you had to pay more money, you had to put in more time, you had to say more prayers, you had to confess more sins. Only that way would you know of your salvation and the salvation of those who had already died that you loved who were waiting there in purgatory. But Luther pounded on the door and said, Sola gratia. We are saved by grace, and grace alone, which is to say that we get, get to live life not with any sense of what we have to do, but with every sense of what we get to do. The Reformation was a dividing line between what it meant to be in relationship with God and that life in God, life with Christ, was not about what we had to do but about what we get to do. Because, you see, it was the Reformation that helped civilization to see that from the very beginning, our existence is all about gift. We, we live our lives out of giftedness, not out of guilt, not out of groveling, not out of grumbling over what we have to do, but life is lived out of giftedness. Life is lived out of an appreciation for what you've been given, and that means going back to the beginning of your life and seeing that the treasure you were given in your body and soul, you made absolutely no contribution to. You did not pick your brain. 
You did not pick your personality. You did not pick your IQ. You did not pick your talents. You did not pick your ability and capacity for employment. None of that you had anything to do with. You were not consulted. Pure gift, sola gratia. Whatever life you live, you live out of giftedness, and whatever you and I live, the life you and I live in eternity, Luther and Calvin and Knox and Zwingli said, we live out of giftedness. Our temporal life and our eternal life is pure gift. In other words, and I hate to tell you this, in other words, you are a freeloader. That got some of your attention. You are a freeloader. You got what you did not pay for. And that's the first half of the Reformation story. That we are saved by grace. But the second half of what the Reformation said is that joy comes, real joy comes when you recognize your giftedness, when you recognize the giftedness of your life and everything about your life, including the eternity of your life, when you recognize the giftedness of your life, and all of a sudden, life becomes not a matter of what you have to do, but a matter of what you get to do. I not only get to live, but I, I get to live in response to the giver. A freeloader takes without giving. A joyful child of God receives the gift and then says, wow, look what I, look what I get to do. I get to live in response to this. I get to employ the gift that was given me. I get to, I get to live my life in gratitude. And here's the amazing thing, is this amazing life of get to and not have to, the amazing thing about this is there ain't nobody who is here to tell you what you have to do. <laughs> no preacher, no teacher, no parent, no child, no TV evangelist, you are born with the freedom to do with what you will, with what you have. Paul says, of this good news, Paul says, of this good news, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Of this good news, Paul says, of this grace alone, of this sola gratia, I have become a servant. Oh, not because I have to. Because I, I get to. The story is told of two young girls who were given the chance along with their parents to visit the famous opera singer Beverly Sills before her performance at the Metropolitan Opera. And so after a brief visit and a picture, the father said, oh, okay, girls, we better go. Miss Sills has to sing tonight. Almost immediately, Beverly Sills replied, oh, no, I, I don't have to sing tonight. Oh, really, said the father, but the, the program here says you're singing tonight. No, no, said the star, I, I don't have to sing tonight. But, but the program, it says, is this a misprint? No, no, she said, I, I don't have to sing tonight. No, I get to sing tonight. 
I get to stand before a hall of people and I get to use my voice like few others get to. Oh no, my friend, I will never have to sing. I will always get to sing. So can I get personal with you? 500 years ago, a monk pounded a bunch of statements on the door of a church. And the result of it is that 500 years later, there is a place and a people like the one that's here this morning, a place we call church. And you know, ever since I was a baby, I got to come to a place called church. And it was at this place called church that I was told that God loved me unconditionally, that God loved me into being, that God loves me into living, and that God's love will be with me till the end of time. Church was where I came to be reminded that life was all about the love of God, receiving it and giving it. Not because I had to, oh no. No, not because I had to, but because I got to. And the church was where I got to go and I got to sing. And I got to sing not because I had to or because I had a good voice, thank God, but because I got to. I got to sing the Lord a joyful song. Church was the place I got to go to pray and to listen and to, and to read the good story of Jesus and his love. I, I got to go to Sunday school and youth group where you could have good, clean fun, a place to go so that I wasn't other places doing stupid things. Church was the place I got to find out that life wasn't just about me. Life was about my neighbor. Life was about folks who didn't have the same cards dealt to them as I had dealt to me. That life was about not how many cards I had, but how many cards everybody had in their hand. Church was where you got to go in order to laugh with those who laugh and weep with those who weep. Church was where you got to go to figure out what God really wanted to do with your life. Oh, of course, there were times like that movie where I felt I had to go and I didn't really know that I got to go. So when I was in ninth grade, during the height of the Cold War, my parents took me behind the Iron Curtain into the heart of the Soviet Union, Moscow, Leningrad, East Berlin, and my dad made it a point to walk me up to those beautiful churches and showed me how they were boarded up, locked up, empty, because there was no freedom of religion. Don't you ever, he said, don't you ever take what you do on Sunday morning for granted. Because, you know, religion dies when it's something you have to do which makes me wonder why religion is dying in America. This Christianity is dying in America. It baffles me, unless, of course, it's something you think you have to do. The church is somewhere you have to go. That money is somewhere something you feel you have to give. The time is something you feel you have to sacrifice. But that's missing the entire point. When we go to be a part of a church, we want to be a part of a place that makes a difference. And this is a place that makes a difference. We get to sing and we get to freely worship. We get to study our Bibles. We get to hand out food and tutor children. We get to build palm centers where the next generations of kids will come and learn that God loves them without condition or question. We get to partner with missionaries who are in dangerous places in the world. We get to hear the pastor this morning say the next Next year is going to be a huge challenge because we're going to try to do things because we get to. We're going to try to do things that we've never done before and we get to wonder. We get to wonder what is my response to that? Because religion is not going to die on this corner. 
It's going to grow and thrive and change people's lives. Sola gratia, grace alone. It's where we started, it's where we'll end, and it's what we get to do in between. 500 years ago, bang, 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 it went on that door, saved by grace. 500 years ago, and we're still saying it today. Why? Because that news never gets old. Good news never gets old, and we never get old either. If every morning we wake up, take in that gift again, and say... What do I get to do today? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.